You are listening to The Other Couch Podcast. Welcome. I'm Stephanie. I'm a licensed creative arts therapist and a mental health counselor. I live with my husband, our daughter, and our two cats in New York City. And in any free time that I can find, I love to paint and make art. And I'm Jessica. I'm a licensed social worker living in New York City with my fiance. I'm an animal lover, a newly trained yoga instructor, and a bit of a musical theater nerd. We believe that therapy at its core is about a genuine connection between two human beings. We want to reinforce the idea that therapists are real people, create a space for mental health professionals to share their stories, their pain, their triumphs, and their sense of humor, and to break down the stigma surrounding therapy. We are far from the traditional blank slate that therapists of yesteryears pretended to be. And we need support and community now more than ever. Let's hear two clinicians talk about life as therapists with other therapists and those who wonder what's happening on the other side of the couch. Hi, this is Jess. So this is an article that I wrote for themighty.com called Confessions of a Therapist with an Anxiety Disorder. And this was one of the topics of the beginning burgeoning conversations that Steph and I had about creating a podcast. I guess you could say this was kind of our inspiration. It's pretty vulnerable and it's pretty honest about the struggles that I have and continue to have as a human with anxiety and also as a human who happens to be a therapist. So I wanted to share all this with you as we're all getting to know each other, because I think it's important for you to know this part of me too. And I hope that by me sharing my experience, that paves the way for all of you to share yours. And that's what we're really looking for here. We want to create a community that's based on cutting out the bullshit and this idea that therapists need to have it all figured out or that everything needs to be kind of wrapped in this pretty little bow of, I struggled, but here's what I learned, that you could be still in the midst of the struggle and still be doing amazing work and being an amazing person. I saw this quote that goes kind of perfectly with Steph being an art therapist, which is that you could be both a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. And I would say that's definitely true for me. Weather.com, I typed into my family's clunky IBM computer. I'm pretty sure it still had dial up. I can still hear that sound associated with two things. The first and definitively more exciting prospect being waiting to check my AIM messages. <laughs> Remember those? From friends with screen names such as Cutie Katie 910 or Soccer Girl Forever. Not that I could judge. I was decidedly the dancer chick. The other purpose of Old Faithful was to check the weather. I monitored the weather with the regularity my devout Italian American grandmother designated to her Roman Catholic faith. Sam Champion was my patron saint of sorts. Every morning, without fail, it was me and the weather report. We had what I would classify as a sort of love affair. The contents of that website had probably the largest pull on my emotions of anything at that time in my life. My fair weather lover could make or break me with a click. I hated it, and I needed it. 
If weather.com said clear skies, the coast was literally and figuratively clear. It would be a good day. This day, it said 30% chance of rain. That was my threshold. It was a no-go. Now on to the task of finding yet another excuse of why I simply must stay home. Headache? No, that would just be a Tylenol and send me on my way. Fever? That's provably untrue. Hiding in my room and hoping that my mother wouldn't know the difference? Not as the daughter of a helicoptering social worker. She knew my every move before I did. Okay, so let's go the honesty route. Just tell her that I simply can't go to school because that 30% chance of rain meant that there was a 30% chance of her certain death, be it by car accident, which was my most typical rumination, or some other more elaborate concern, such as a flash flood or a freak lightning strike. See, the fact that it was raining didn't just mean that there was more of a chance of weather-related death. No, my anxiety-riddled brain also connected it to an increased chance of anything generally terrible happening. It was something about the ominous foreboding of gray clouds that kicked on that fight-or-flight response, and it was over for me. Now, when you have an anxious thought for long enough, it starts to lose its irrationality, and instead of rationalizing yourself down to match the anxiety level of others, you start to wonder why they're not as concerned as you are. A passing thought becomes an impenetrable fact. I would stare at my mother and wonder, do you not know that it's a 30% chance of rain? Do I have to look after this entire family myself? So after a morning pondering my and my family's imminent demise and receiving yet another piece of psychoeducation from my concerned mother that avoidance is the food that feeds anxiety or any other metaphor she thought of that day, I ventured off to the place I hated most, school. Did I mention that I was eight years old? I was fun at child birthday parties. Well, I have since grown out of my weather phase and can now appreciate the tranquility of a nice stormy night. My anxiety, like the grubby little opportunist it is, has shape-shifted and transfigured into many different forms in the decades since the weather years. Much like I went through phases, there was the year of only dresses, the musical theater girl, kind of still in that, and the godforsaken, unspeakable age of the nameplate and the too-much hair gel. My anxiety had its phases, too. They just grow up so fast. For a period of time, it was crippling social anxiety and a fear of rejection. But it's also been terrorism, school shootings, anaphylactic shock, despite having minor food allergies, a brief foray into obsessive-compulsive tendencies, and an omnipresent perfectionism and need for external control to manage the inner turmoil. (laughs) Anxiety has always been a piece of me. Now, sometimes when I'm feeling more in control of it, I see it more as a cloud that follows me around and less as a character trait. But when it's something that's been central to your human experience for virtually your entire life, it's hard not to view it as a part of you in the same vein as my knack for reading or my aversion to cilantro. I call anxiety my worst kept secret. I like to pretend that I keep it well hidden. And in some spheres of my life, I do. People are often surprised or feign surprise when it seeps through and they get a glimpse of a moment of panic or I reach the edges of my comfort zone. I actually watch their opinion of me change as I explain that, no, I cannot go to the movies with you on account of mass shootings. I have not been since I ran out of the theater during Les Miserables and caused a mass exodus. Thank you very much. And it is true, voice of my therapist in my head, that I have been able to do a lot considering the intensity of these feelings throughout my life. And yet there's still something shameful about admitting that you are limited in some way. 
to me, it appears to reveal a level of inadequacy and inherent weakness in my moral fortitude. And on an intellectual level, I believe that we need to do our part to combat this stigma in our society, particularly in regards to mental health treatment. And I would feel that way because I am a therapist. That's right. The girl who had run out of her first grade class to throw up for the first weeks of a school year grew up to help other people manage their social and behavioral issues. On a personal level, I find it very hard to afford myself the same level of compassion and understanding that comes so naturally with my clients. There's something about this title that I think has actually worsened that internalized shame like a podiatrist with bunions or a smoking cardiologist. Shouldn't we, of all people, be the ones who have answers to all this stuff? Like, didn't my master's degree free me of a life of panic, phobia, and rumination? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the woman behind the knowing, empathetic smile. And while I have identified and challenged my maladaptive thoughts, meditated, practiced self-care, processed, explored, validated, emotionally freed, and downward dog my way through life, I haven't yet been able to rid myself of a relatively high degree of anxiety and existential dread. And maybe that's the point. Maybe we're not supposed to learn how to rid ourselves from anxiety, but learn how to live a full, rich, satisfying life with this anxiety. And if my clients are seeking insight into doing that they've come to the right place. I connect with them from a place of understanding that only someone who has walked that path can. All the graduate school literature reviews and memoirs in the world cannot adequately describe how exhausting it is to feel like every headache is an inoperable brain tumor. The description of a panic disorder in the DSM doesn't begin to touch the surface of what it feels like to be in the throes of one in a grocery store. But I know, and I walk with them and alongside them, I hold their hand, proverbially, of course, licensing board, as they try to be a human in the best way that they know how, and we are both better for it. Now, I may still check and recheck the doors to ensure that there is not a mass murderer in my midst, but I am chock full of authenticity and humanity, and so far that has been enough. If I could go back to eight-year-old me, I would say, hang in there, little meteorologist in the making, because we're going to be okay with not being okay all the time. And we are going to pick up a few consolation prizes along the way. We will realize that yoga and meditation gives us an albeit brief quiet in our mind, that we kind of like the idea of cognitive behavioral therapy much more than we like it in practice, and that we weren't meant for anxiety-free life because our journey is going to mean something. Our struggle clears the way for our purpose. And not to toot our own horn, but we become a damn good therapist despite of and because of our struggles. So put that in your forecast, 100% compassion with a side of empathy. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a chance, please like and subscribe. And also, please feel free to reach out to us on social media or through our website. We would love to connect and hear your questions. Thanks.